This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is sponsored by Grand Heron International. Through a growing network of credentialed and vetted coaches, Grand Heron International brings you on-demand coaching with Coaching On-Site and the Coaching Assistance Program for Corporations. Whether you are a company committed to investing in your leaders, an individual navigating a complex situation, or a coach searching for a superb network of coaches, visit us at GrandHeronInternational.com. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, a podcast dedicated to promoting leadership development and sharing leadership insights. Here's your host, the Leadership Accelerator, Eddie Turner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast, the podcast dedicated to leadership development and insights. I'm your host, Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator. I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact through the power of facilitation, coaching, and professional speaking. When I coach leaders, I pull from a well of experience and training. Part of my experience and training was shaped by the international coaching community. It is one of the largest coaching organizations in the world. It has a global presence of 13,000 coaches in 67 countries on five continents. It was co-founded by my guest for today, Joseph O'Connor and his wife, Andrea. Joseph O'Connor is an international executive coach and coach trainer. Joseph has written 19 books or 20 if we count his latest one that we'll talk about today. And they've been published in 30 languages and have sold over half a million copies worldwide. He is one of the few certified trainers in the world of deception detection and emotional intelligence approved by the Paul Ekman organization. Joseph's latest book that we're going to talk about today is Coaching the Brain, Practical Applications, of neuroscience in coaching. Joseph, welcome to the Keep Leading Podcast. Thank you, Eddie. Great to be here. I am excited to have you. Please tell my listeners a little bit more about you. Whoa, where do I start? Um, okay, well, let's start many years ago when I was a professional guitarist. I gave uh, concerts and I taught guitar. And I taught a lot of very good guitarists how to play the guitar. And I used to play a little trick on them. I used okay. to get them. <laughs> I used to uh, get them get their guitar out. I say, well, you know, practice what you're going to play. And then I'd go out and say I'd get some water or a cup of coffee. And I'd listen at the door. And uh, invariably, they would play beautifully. It was beautiful to hear. Uh, then I'd come in and I'd sit down and I'd say, okay, now can you? Play me the, the piece of music you're practicing. And uh, surprise, surprise, it was a lot worse with a lot more mistakes in it 
than when I was listening outside the door. And it always intrigued me. Why was that? What was it that was going on inside my students' heads that was sabotaging them when I walked in the room? Because, you know, I'm reasonably looking sort of person. <laughs> I don't think I frightened them. <laughs> and yet um, their capability was exactly the same. It, that didn't change. They had exactly the same skills as they had 10 seconds ago. And yet they couldn't employ them. And this, I think, really started me down the, the road of coaching yeah, to, to find out how it is that we, what stops us from giving our best, because I believe that People have fantastic potential and their best is wonderful. And yet somehow um, ideas, self-consciousness, all sorts of things stop them. And uh, I want to know what it is and to help them. So from your music career of seeing what was happening with students who performed one way in your presence and in another when you were not around, you start to discover that something is getting in the people's way in their performance. And well, yes, it, and it must be that something in their own mind, um, some kind of nervousness, yeah? Um, mm -hmm. Because it wasn't me. I mean, their skills were the same. So what, it, what was it? How can we help someone get rid of those limiting beliefs? And, okay, it's, it's very clear when you're playing the guitar, but, I mean, this applies to people standing up giving sales presentations, giving business presentations, uh, pitching for their company, pitching as an entrepreneur, leading people, everything. Um, how is it that people can give their very best? And this is what I devote myself to as a coach. Wonderful. And so this led you to a journey of not just becoming a coach, but uh, becoming one of the premier thought leaders in the coaching industry. And you've written about this quite extensively. The book that I first read that you wrote is Coaching with NLP, which gets behind the thought pattern of uh, behavior as well. But you've got a newer book. So I'd love to hear about this new book. Uh, tell us the title again, which I mentioned in the intro, but tell us again and tell us why you wrote it. Okay, well, the book is called Coaching the Brain, Practical Applications of Neuroscience to Coaching. And uh, it's kind of came from my thought process a few years ago that went something like, well, well, look, we have a lot of psychological models as coaches and we apply these and we want to, how people think. And yet to try to do that without knowing something about what it is that's doing the thinking um, seemed to me rather strange. It seemed to me in the same sort of way as classical economics used to make laws and predictions about what people would buy and sell based on the classical you know, economic person who was perfectly rational. Now, of course, we know that people are not perfectly rational, and therefore a lot of classical economics didn't work very well. It needed to be behavioral economics. And in the same way, I think that when we really look into how the brain works, and not how we think it works or how we would like it to work. We get a lot of insight into really what happens, how people think and how we can help them much more so. And it, it came actually, I, I was in New York a few years ago and I thought, well, if I'm going to really um, look at the brain carefully, I want to look at my own. So I went to a, a place in New York. It was great. And I had a brain scan. It, it looked hmm. beautiful. It was all incredible colors. I, I wasn't ill. I was just really interested in, um, you know, what, what was going on in there. 
and how you could tell and, and what was happening. And it taught me a lot about myself. It was really resonated down the last two or three years. And it uh, set me off on this path together with Andrea, my wife and partner, of writing this book, Coaching the Brain. And for me, it has to be practical. Um, it's no good, you know, it doesn't help for people to learn Latin terms for the brain. That doesn't help coaches. It's got to be practical application, got to be able to use it. And I hope that's what I've done in the book. That was certainly my intention. So then this examination of your own brain led you to an interest of how the brain works. And I like what you're saying there in terms of it can be a little bit difficult for some when you start to think about let's have a conversation about the brain, because now I need to be able to speak the scientific language and use the Latin terms and such. <laughs> and, no, no. No, no, Latin term, no, no knowledge of Latin is, is needed. It's what happens, you know, how it functions, all the ways in particular. I've been fascinated by some of the ways that our thought processes can be uh, twisted and turned by factors that we have no knowledge of at all, and yet can significantly change our decisions. Yes. And so you're saying that in your book, you've done away with that and you've simplified it so that everyone can benefit from this knowledge. Well, I, I hope so. Uh, the reason I write a book is to learn about something that I'm interested in and to make it easy, you know, do all the hard lifting myself so that when people read the book, they don't have to wade through lots of stuff that's hard to understand because um, hopefully I've done the work for them and hopefully they get the, uh, the useful stuff that they can use straight away. Wonderful. So how is neuroscience transforming coaching uh, from your perspective? Well, if we think about coaching as kind of having three different principles that we look at, one is goals, what people want. Um, the other is values, what's important about anything to, to a person, because we have there are thousands of possible goals, things that we could want, but we only have time for some, so we um, make priorities, and we make priorities based on our values. Uh, so goals, values, and then what we would call beliefs or mental models. And a mental model is basically an idea that we have about ourselves or other people or situations built on our experience. We then predict what is going to happen if we do something and we act according to our prediction. Now, what's interesting is that there are many, many different, uh, shall we call them tricks that the brain can play in terms of, first of all, not getting very good information to start with um, in all sorts of ways, like uh, only paying attention to information that we agree with, you know, the well-known confirmation bias, mm -hmm. to priming being affected by our surroundings, our furniture, would you believe, what I call our psychogeography. In other words, the distances and ways that we relate to other people, distance uh, as a... As a um, metaphor for relationship yeah in terms yes of where we are with people and you can see this played out in companies with the great big desk and, and the um, people behind it and then other people further away so there's, there's sorts of things like that but what i think what's really interesting for me is first of all goals and our cognitive process particularly creativity because the neuroscience of creativity i think is really really interesting Values, which is backed by emotion, um, because in, values are basically what we feel strongly about. 
Uh, and this is backed by our emotions. So you need to know about emotions. You need to know how they work and how they're created and what they do. I don't think you can be emotionally intelligent unless you have some knowledge of that. And then in terms of our mental models, our beliefs, and if we can understand how we gather the information, how we put it together and construct something that we then act on, which can be limiting or it can be empowering, I think this is really important not just uh, as coaches for our clients, but, you know, um, it's physician heal thyself. It's use it first on yourself. It's the old uh, story about aeroplane. You know, when you get in an aeroplane, they say, in the unlikely event of the, the ca- drop in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the ceiling. And please uh, fit your own mask first before you fit anybody else's, because it's no good trying to fit somebody else's passing out and then you're both no good. So I look at it from both points of view. These are tools for coaches to work on themselves and also for coaches to help their clients. Thank you. So when we look at the idea that there are three foundations, as you said, that uh, typically when working with a client, we're looking at their values. Well, first of all, their goals, uh, their values, and then their beliefs. And the idea that we bring into play uh, the mental frameworks that exists and the emotions and all of that combines together and emanates from this idea of the, of the neuroscience, what's happening in the brain and that will affect those three things, uh, those three uh, options that we're talking about in, in working with the clients. And that is why it matters from a coaching perspective. And then also the coach must work on themselves first. Yeah. And just to add one more thing, there's um, a picture on the, cover of the book, which is a candle with a flame. And I think this is a beautiful metaphor for the way the brain works, because candle is material, it's solid, but a flame is not. A flame is immaterial, it's ethereal, it's beautiful, it's flickering, it's luminous. It's like our subjective experience, like our consciousness. Uh, And yet it comes from the material of the candle. And so if you're going to understand it, you have to understand them both together. And what is so amazing is that the flame affects the candle, right? So thoughts affect the material of our brains. If you keep repeating and thinking certain thoughts, they will get more and more entrenched. They will become habitual and they will be much more difficult to budge. And it doesn't matter to the brain how stupid or limiting the thought is. It will faithfully reproduce that thought if you keep thinking it. So I, I just think it's a, a, an amazing um, what goes on in our mind in terms of thoughts can affect material. And then the material in turn affects the thoughts that we have. Very intriguing. And thank you for explaining the cover, because when I saw that, I did not make the connection as to what that made to coaching. And so for those listening to us have this discussion, you'll be able to see the cover in the show notes that will be posted to the keepleadingpodcast.com website, uh, where I'll have a page there for uh, Joseph O'Connor and this uh, show. Well, thank you for explaining that. And indeed, just as the, the, the flicker of the, of the fire affects the candle, so the flicker of those thoughts that we have affect the entire brain, our mental imagery, and our pattern of behavior, which is affected by the pattern of thinking. Very intriguing. So uh, we're talking to Joseph O'Connor, 
the co-founder of the International Coaching Community and the author of Coaching the Brain. We're going to pause now for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Joseph O'Connor. This podcast is sponsored by Eddie Turner, LLC. Organizations who need to accelerate the development of their leaders call Eddie Turner the Leadership Accelerator. Eddie works with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact. Call Eddie Turner to help your leaders one-on-one as their coach or to inspire them as a group through the power of facilitation or a keynote address. Visit eddieturnerllc.com to learn more. This is Patricia Fripp, the presentation skills expert. And you're listening to the Keep Leading podcast with my friend, Eddie Turner. Okay, we're back, everyone. We're talking to Joseph O'Connor, the co-founder of the International Coaching Community. And he is talking to us about his new book, Coaching the Brain, learning a little bit about the importance of neuroscience for coaches. And he believes every coach should understand neuroscience, not just coaching. Now I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Uh, Joseph, since you are the co-founder of the International Coaching Community, I'd like for you to tell my listeners uh, what that organization is, because they may not have heard of it, and what led you to co-found it. Okay. Well, Andrea and I co-founded the ICC in 2001, and I was living in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, and we both were. We've since moved back to, to London. We live in England now. But at the time, we were in Sao Paulo. And in 2001, um, coaching was nowhere near as well-developed as it is now. And we wanted to, to make something from our experience that was, first of all, that helped coaches with skills. And secondly, that helped coaches with ethics. Because the skill base and the ethical base was really, and still is, really important to us. Because if, I think if coaching is ever going to be a profession, um, it needs to have an ethical base. I mean, professions are uh, almost defined by the fact that they have ethical codes. So we were thinking about this, and, and we chose international coaching community. Uh, those three words, I think, sum it up. First of all, it is international. Um, Andrea is Brazilian. I'm English. Um, the first ICC certification training we gave was actually in Poland. Uh, the second was in Rio de Janeiro. I think the third was was in Bilbao. In other words, we we <laughs> we started international. Many companies, of course, they start national and then they expand. We seem to go the other way around. Interesting. <laughs> it was very interesting. Um, so uh, it, it was international. And there's some also. I, I think um, coaching is international. I mean, human beings yes. are the same all over the world. And we know that the uh, ICC training, uh, which, as you said at the beginning, uh, has been uh, trained over 13,000 coaches in 67 countries, um, it it's, goes across cultures. It works in every culture. We know that now. <laughs> um, so international. Coaching, of course. Coaching, helping, helping uh, people to be the best that they can be. And community, and we chose this word quite carefully because a community has a focus on values. A community is a group of people that wants to be together, not a group necessarily of people who are thrown together or happen to be together or anything like that, but they want to be together. They're united by shared values. 
And this has been extremely important for us all the way through. Uh, and I think that we have, um, through the ICC, put values quite strongly into coaching. Um, and certainly at the time, back in 2001, I don't think it had the same kind of prominence as it does now. So that, that was the ICC, and we certainly succeeded beyond our wildest dreams, I think. I'd say. Yeah, um, to the uh, now in five continents with, with the coaches and, and everything else, as you say. So we're, we're very happy with that, and, and uh, we're very happy that we, we've made a difference to coaches and through coaches to people. Uh, ICC has its kind of mission, vision statement of coaching the world, because we feel we are so international. And I think that coaching the world, you know, where do you start? Well, you've got to start with yourself, but then you coach other people, other people then. It's like dropping a stone into a pool. The ripples just go out and out and out. And if you drop a big enough stone into the pool, the ripples will go out a very long way. So you start with yourself then perhaps your, your clients. Then if your clients are people in business, they will affect their business. And so in the end, we hope that we can have an effect on the world and to help the world because helping the world is helping ourselves and vice versa. Indeed. What a powerful mission statement. Coaching the world. Now, what's been the biggest surprise to you or the biggest delight in all that your organization has accomplished these almost 20 years? <laughs> oh, wow. It's a hard question to answer because there's been a lot of things as we've gone along the way. And I, I think that um, you know, many people, perhaps they look at international organizations and they think, oh, lots of planning, very careful planning and, and analysis. And, and then, you know, you go through and you do this, step one, step two, step three, and you, you arrive at an international organization. That hasn't been my experience at all. Um, it's been uh, one step at a time in the best way that, the next step seemed to be, there's a, there's a saying, I can't remember who said it first, but you can drive a thousand miles in a car with, in, in the dark with one set of headlights because you don't need to see the thousand miles. You only need to see the next piece of road with your headlights. And I feel like that's, that's, what, uh, that's what we've done. So um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really happy that so many great people have, have joined the ICC, our trainers for the ICC, and continue to work for the ICC to, to make a difference in the world. Wonderful. Now, I just was wondering, as I listened to you talk about the, the far reach and your, your, your beginnings and what you've been able to accomplish and the number of people. And so I just was thinking, wow, it must be fascinating for you and your wife to look back all these years later and see just what you've accomplished. And so uh, beautiful, very, uh, very nice to see what you've done. What would you say as you've built this international organization of coaches in every uh in, in many of the most common languages and the most uh, popularly visited lands, uh, when an organization is thinking about maybe not building an international organization, but just in their local corporation, building a coaching community, building a coaching culture internally, what advice would you give to business leaders? Building a coaching culture. Um, well, I would say, first of all, that it needs to be supported right at the top. Um, you know, the, the top top management, CEO, board of directors, they've got to sign on. 
Otherwise, people get cynical. They think, well, if coaching's so great, you know, why aren't the directors having it? So it's got to start at the top, Mm -hmm. uh, or it's got to be endorsed from the top. Sometimes, you know, it can start in in other layers of management, but it's got to be supported all the way up. Um, Coaching culture is creative. Coaching culture asks questions, which is not always very comfortable at the beginning. That's the idea of being a coach. You ask questions and you push people out of their comfort zone, but you also support them when they're out of their comfort zone until they find another zone that is uh, beyond that first comfort zone, <laughs> better, you know, better than the comfort zone. It's like moving up the, the floors of an apartment, start on, on ground, and then you move up to the fifth floor and you get a better view, and you move up to the tenth floor and you get an even better view. So you continue moving up. Yeah, so to go back to that question, it's about asking questions. It's got to be supported from the top. It's got to be, it's got to be about questions. I think it's important to train coaches internally that they have good training mm-hmm. and can just kind of start it from nothing. At the same time, we're not trying to make managers into coaches. We're simply very often giving managers new skills, um, coaching skills that make them better managers. I mean, I've had some managers come to me and say, I haven't got time to learn this coaching. And I say to them, You're ex- that's exactly why you need to learn the coaching. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing too much yourself. And with a bit of coaching, your, your people will be able to take over um, things. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. You know, so like they say, the, the best leaders are, are the people who recruit people who are smarter than themselves yes. in areas. Uh, so they don't have to do it all. That's the whole point. So sometimes people think of leadership as, as you know, top of the, the pyramid, the hierarchy, doing everything, bossing everyone around. I don't think it's like that at all. Mm-hmm. One, one, another thing I think about um, being a leader in a coaching organisation is that you have to, you've got to talk with people. You can't be remote. Um, I remember a, a great leader um, in one company that I, that I coached with. And it was amazing. He was really, really effective. But he always had time to listen to what you had to say. And I was involved in in kind of creating a coaching culture in that organization. And one of the best feedbacks that came out of that was that other departments would say of that department that had the coaching culture, if you want to get something done, go to them. Hmm. How about that? (laughs) <laughs> anyway i've kind of gone around the the you know it's such a big subject isn't it leadership coaching coaching culture yes um, around a bit but hopefully uh, answered the question from different points of view you did and gave us a couple of things there that every organization would want to consider start at the top and make sure you have executive support and, and ensure that you are a, a, building a, a culture that fosters asking questions, which is something that is seen as a weakness in some organizations. But uh, building that kind of uh, comfort where people are asking questions and then getting proper training for managers. And it's not that we're trying to turn managers into coaches, but in fact, uh, to the point that you made, if managers were trained to be a coach first and a manager second, they'd actually be a more effective manager. So very nice. Well, Joseph, you've seen a lot in starting an international organization. You've been coaching for a very long time. You've written 20 books. So 
clearly you have a point of view. What do you see as the future of coaching? Oh, that's a difficult one. This is just my my point of view uh, from what I've seen. Coaching seems to be uh, fragmenting a little bit into executive coaching. So there's a number of, of executive coaches um, used in organizations for top executives, and that's fine. That's one niche. There's also a lot of coaching training going on inside organizations so that they can like take the uh, skill in-house uh, rather than bringing in outside coaches at every level. So there's a lot of uh, coaching training going on uh, mid-level organization. And there's also uh, a big growth in team coaching. Uh, as more and more, uh, so many organizations are looking to see teams, small teams as the unit uh, by which they get things done rather than, you know, the old thing of, of individuals in cubicles. It's now teams, cross-functional teams. So there's a lot of team coaching going on. And this is something that interests me a lot because coaching a team is not the same as coaching a person. It's actually quite different. It's a different system. You've got to be in a think systemically quite differently. Um, so this is a coaching training that the ICC does of team coaching. In fact, I'm going to be doing one in Russia. Um, and uh, I've, I've done it all over the world. It's very interesting. So team coaching. Uh, and, the, of course, I've got to say, the other thing that's coming into coaching much more is neuroscience. And I think there's going to be a time coming in the next few years when it will be mandatory that coaches know something of neuroscience because without it, they will lack some credibility in terms of, of their, their, how they go about the coaching and what they know about the coaching. So I, th I think that, you know, coaches need to know some things, uh, of course, in psychology. I think they'll need to know some things in neuroscience and, well, any other things. I, what I personally think is that coaches ought to know lots about lots. Uh, I think that the, the more well-rounded the coach is in terms of just living and experience, the better coach they are. Very interesting. Thank you, Joseph. So when we think about the future of coaching, uh, you're seeing more of a clear line being drawn in terms of executive coaches inside of organizations and what that means, and then more training for others so that other people are doing the coaching of those inside the organization and not necessarily going external as much. More team coaching is uh, in demand. Uh, big growth around the world in that, so much so that you're going to be doing a program in Russia and you're running several across the globe. And then back to what we started on, neuroscience. More coaches need to know about neuroscience and more coaches uh, need to focus on being well-rounded. And the more well-rounded they are, the better coach they are. Very nice. Thank you very much, Joseph. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And how would you summarize uh, our discussion that we've had today? Well, I hope that um, it's it's been interesting for been interesting for me. And I hope it's been interesting for you. I hope it's interesting for all our listeners. There, there's one little quote, perhaps, to, to finish up, and I really like this quote. It's from Carlos Castaneda, his book. I think it's called "The Journey to Ixlan," um, about a, a Mexican kind of mystic or, or wise person. And uh, the quote goes like this: "All paths are the same." They lead nowhere. Does this path have a heart? If it does, the path is good. If it does not, 
it is of no use. So I'm always looking for a path with a heart of what I do next. And I hope everybody, you and, and everybody listening, will find their path with a heart too. Very nice. Does this path have a heart? If not, it's of no use. All right. Well, we'll definitely share that with our listeners uh, in the show notes. Uh, where can my listeners learn more about you? Oh, are we talking website here? Yes. Uh, so we'll uh, direct people to your website then, the internationalcoachingcommunity.com. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. We'll put your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out to you, connect with you, and uh, be able to see all the great things that you're doing. Joseph, okay. thank you so much for being a guest on the Keep thank Leading Podcast. Thank you, Eddie. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. That concludes this episode, everyone. I'm Eddie Turner, the Leadership Accelerator, reminding you that leadership is not about our title or our position. Leadership is an activity. Leadership is action. It's not the case of once a leader, always a leader. It's not a garment we put on and take off. We must be a leader at our core and allow it to emanate in all we do. So whatever you're doing, always keep leading. Thank you for listening to your host, Eddie Turner, on the Keep Leading Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to the Keep Leading Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. For more information about Eddie Turner's work, please visit eddieturnerllc.com. Thank you for listening to C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.